All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. We're going through the Bible. We find ourselves in 1 John. That would be way in the back, not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of 1 John. John wrote five books in total. And the title of our message today is, What Can Wash Away My Sins? And Benjamin didn't know if he should put a question mark or not, so... It's all good. What can wash away my sins? So we're going to see it this morning, just in case you're not sure. 1 John chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that we can just come and sit at your feet and the Lord, we can take in what you have for us and so Bless this time as we offer it up to you. Give us, Lord, ears to hear and eyes to see what you say to the church this morning. And we just uh, thank you. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said. So 1 John chapter 1, last week we covered verses 1 through 4. If we saw anything really jumping out, we saw fellowship, fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. And we saw the fact that God wants our joy to be full, not just that we would be joyful, but that our joy would be full. And so we saw those two things kind of coming out of those four verses. Today we will cover, we will conclude the chapter. We'll go verses 5 through 10. So let's go ahead and read the whole chapter so that we can get it within its context, and then we'll break it down. So this is 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard and uh, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so again, verses 1 through 4, which we looked at last week, covered um, the fact that God wants us to have fellowship with one another and fellowship with him and In that, he's saying through that fellowship with one another and through that fellowship with him, there's this opportunity to experience the fullness of joy that God wants to give us. And so we're not to be monks. I don't understand the idea of somebody being so spiritually minded that they would separate themselves from people. That just, it doesn't, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Lord wants us to be a community. The Lord wants us to be connected. 
The Lord wants us to suffer with those who suffer, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to be with those who are naming the name of Christ. And through that fellowship with one another, we have fellowship with the Lord, and we are continuing to move in this thing of sanctification with God. And so again, those are just kind of things that were mentioned last week. We pick it up here from verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so he continues on after saying about fellowship and joy that this is the message that we have heard from him. If you look at verse 1 in 1 John chapter 1, you'll see John is mentioning the other disciples and apostles with himself. He's not saying, this is my message or this is what I have seen. He says we. Notice verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, uh, with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. And so he's including the others with him that this is what we experience when Jesus walked this earth. Now in verse 5, he's saying this is the message which we have heard from him. This isn't John's message. This isn't his opinion. This isn't something that he's saying, hey, I got some good news or some good information that I want to just express to you. He's saying this is the message that I got from God. This is not my message. This is God's message. And so it would behoove us to pay attention. It would, it, would, and it would be a good thing for us to take note. Whoa, what is God's message? He tells us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Light illuminates. Light exposes. Light warms. It, it helps us to see the path that we are to walk. It, it, it shows us the way. And so God, in one of his attributes, being light and no darkness at all, it's not, there's not a tint or a hinge of anything negative with God. Darkness, in contrast to light, is the absence of light. And so with God, there is no absence of light. There's no mistakes with God, not only in what he does, but think about this in your life and the difficulties that you've had in your life and what he allows you to go through. There is no darkness at all. God knows what he's doing and, and it's, it's purposeful. There's a plan with God. You have to know that God loves you. You have to know that God, having this perspective, being outside of time and space, he sees the end from the beginning. He knows the difficulties that will come into your life, and he is light. And he wants you to walk with him in that light. And when you say that it's something else, or when you accuse God of something, that's darkness. That's not of God. That's not from God. And so we have to be very, very careful to accuse God, to blame God, to hold God in a place where God had somehow maybe missed something or made a mistake or wasn't aware of something happening. No, no, God's fully aware. And, and, and as, as much as God is in charge of the whole world and every fulfillment of every scripture in the book of Revelation and Matthew 24 and all of these things that are going to happen yet future, 
God is fully aware of every moment of your life, of every difficulty that you've gone through, every suffering that you have faced, and yet God is on time with that as well. And so we are given this choice of how are we going to respond to darkness that enters our life, the difficulties. Are we going to blame God? Are we going to shake our fist at God? Are we going to say that maybe God doesn't know? Maybe he didn't know. Maybe he's a little confused on this area. Maybe he was, maybe he was absent on this. No, that's to blame God of having darkness. There is no darkness at all with God. He knows what he's doing. And as, as big and as in charge and in control of, of the world as God has it, and so much so, your life and every nuance of your life, every aspect of your life, God is fully aware as well. Go back to the verses 2, 3, 5, and 1 John chapter 1, he desires fellowship. Fellowship with himself, light, walking in the light, fellowship with one another, as we as Christians are walking in the light, so that your joy may be full. Don't lose sight of what God's plan for your life is. Don't, don't be confused about what the end objective of what he's doing in your life, even as you go through difficulty, even as there is confusion, even as there is things that you look at and you're like, wow, this is not a good thing. I'm not wishing this upon anybody. Even in the midst of that, God is using that in your life. It all depends on your perspective. God is willing. God is desiring. Where are you at? What is your perspective? Are you looking to the Lord? Are, are you allowing him to be God in those things? I think it's, um, I wrote down some quotes from Spurgeon on this that I definitely wanted to Read to you. No, it wasn't Spurgeon yet, but there was a couple definitions that I wrote. A good definition of God is God is the only infinite, eternal, and unchangeable spirit, the perfect being in whom all things begin and continue and end. Another way of saying that God is perfect is to say that God is light. Clark writes, light is the purest, the most subtle, the most useful, the most diffusive of all God's creatures. It is therefore a very proper emblem of the purity, perfection, and goodness of the divine nature. McLaren says, there are spots in the sun, great tracks of blackness on its radiant disk, but in God's is unmingled, perfect purity. So any approach to the relationship with God that assumes or even implies that God might be wrong and perhaps must be forgiven by us is at its root blasphemous and directly contradicts what John clearly states here. God doesn't need to apologize for anything that has transpired in our life, that has happened in our life, because God doesn't make mistakes. And it's, it's mind-boggling that the very evil that the enemy intends for you is the very thing that God wants to use to bring you closer to himself. Think about that. What the enemy means for evil. God, through his sovereignty, supersedes it, allows it, doesn't cause it. He will not cause evil, the Bible says. Allows it so that you would turn to him and look to him. And when you turn to him and look to him, 
you will find what you were looking for. Not relief from the pain, but you will find what you were looking for because it's in God. The next verse says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if we say that we're in fellowship with God, if we're walking with God and yet we're walking in darkness, John is saying we're lying and the truth is not in us. We're not practicing the truth. Very important that we differentiate fellowship from salvation. He's not saying if we walk in darkness, we've lost our salvation. He's saying we no longer have communion with God if we're walking in darkness. Now, how does that work? Because no Christian will ever reach sinless perfection, right? Nobody alive will attain to the level of... I don't know about you guys, but uh, I pretty much got it figured out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one day, maybe one day, you too can be an ascended master like myself. No, no, nobody can say that. That's just not happening, right? And so that's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying sinless perfection. Fellowship with God is walking in the light. Walking in the light is participating with God where he's at in your life. And so God is growing you up. And he knows exactly where you're at. He knows your struggles. He knows your confusion. He knows the things that you have questions about and what's taken place in your past and things that are subconscious that you don't even know that are your weaknesses and propensities. And you just keep making those same mistakes and you can't even figure out. God knows those things. And he says, son, daughter, this is what we're working on right here in your life right now. This is the time where this lesson is going to be learned in your life. As you acknowledge that and cooperate with God and participate in that sanctification process where God is growing you up to maturity, you are walking in the light. To say, God, no, oh my gosh, uh uh-uh, no way, Uh -uh. uh-uh, mm-mm. I've had many people try to touch that place in my life, try to go there, and it's uncomfortable, and it hurts, and it just, it's awkward, and no, mm mm-mm, I'm going to keep this to myself. That, That works with everybody that doesn't work with God. When God has determined that it's time to work in a specific area in your life, guess what? That is the lesson to be learned. That's what you are going to get. That's what God is intent on teaching you. To not participate, to not want it, to not want to participate and cooperate with God is to walk in darkness and to stunt your growth. To not cooperate is not to move forward in the things of God. And so hopefully you and I belong to a community where other believers are simultaneously cooperating with God. They're also walking in the light because God uses that fellowship as well to grow us up and to teach us things. How otherwise would we learn how to function in this world, to function at work, to function with people like this at work or people like this that I go to school with or people like this in my family or whatever? We get that through fellowship in one another. Whoa, you're going through that thing? Check this out. Oh, my gosh, that happened to me two weeks ago. Trip out. This is what God showed me. And it's like, whoa, 
That's what God showed you? I think that's what God's trying to teach me. That's what God is showing me. Sanctification. We're growing in the grace and knowledge of God. As we have fellowship one with another, as we have fellowship with God, as we walk in the light. Again, to walk in darkness is not to lose our salvation, but to stunt our growth, to not want to cooperate with God, to say, yeah, God, I don't think you have this one figured out. No, there's no darkness in God. He's light. He's perfect. He knows exactly what you need when you need it, not a moment sooner or later. If God is trying to work on an area in your life, be wide open to that. Don't fear God. He loves you. Has he not demonstrated that love to you? Has his track record not proven himself that he is perfect in your life? Continue to allow God to expose those areas. Yes, at times it is uncomfortable. At times being vulnerable is a little scary. The kids that desired to go out and share were more desiring to stay in their holy huddle and just worship another song, right? Before they went out to the block to be able to share. Sometimes we're fearful of what might happen. God has it orchestrated for us. Don't be afraid to cooperate with God in the midst of that. Now here's, I believe, where I wrote some quotes down that I wanted to read. If John said that it is a lie, it means he thinks in terms of being true, of things being true or being lies. John is much too plain for our sophisticated age, which doesn't want to see anything in black or white but everything in pale shades of gray. And so unfortunately, we live in a culture where nobody wants to be called out and they don't want things to be called sin. God calls them sin. God calls it darkness in contrast to light. In 2004, the governor of the state of New Jersey was caught in a scandal. Though he was a married man with children, he was also having a sexual relationship with a man. At the press conference he held to admit this, he began by saying, my truth is that I am gay, a gay American. These words were very carefully chosen words, my truth. In the thinking of the world today, I have my truth and you have your truth. But Jesus said, I am the truth. And the Bible clearly tells us of a truth that is greater than any individual feeling about it. And so it's not my truth versus your truth. It's not my opinion versus your opinion. It's God. And to live outside of God is to live outside of reality. And we in our culture have come to think that reality is going along with how I feel or, 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 or you acquiescing to my confusion. You're living a lie. And you can't be in fellowship with God and walk in darkness. And so whatever's coming out of your mouth, it's not your opinion versus mine. It's the truth. So that was 2004. Last Sunday, I found another article from CNN. Washington, D.C. Former, former Pennsylvania U.S. Senator Harris Wolford announced Sunday that he is marrying a man 50 years his junior, almost 20 years after his wife died. Wolford, a Democrat who was also a top advisor to John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr., announced his marriage to Matthew Charlton, in a New York Times um, op-ed published Sunday. Here's his quote. Too often our society seeks to label people by pinning them on the wall, straight, gay, or in between, Wolford wrote. I don't categorize myself based on the gender of those I love. I had half a century of marriage with a wonderful woman and now am lucky for a second time to have found happiness. 
That's the culture we live in. That's what's happening in our current culture. And so don't label me, he says. The other guy says, my truth is that I'm a gay American. Okay, you're living a lie and you're walking in darkness. And don't say that to walk in darkness is to have fellowship with God because you don't have fellowship with God when you walk in darkness. So it is not your opinion versus my opinion. Why did God write this? Why is he giving us this? Why is this his message? Because he wants your joy to be full. What's going to be the end result, the the bottom rung ladder when these people arrive at where they thought they were going to go in these lifestyles? They're going to be just as empty, just as heartbroken, just as delusional because they're living a lie. And so... It's not a mean message to declare the truth of God to people who are living a lie. It is the most loving, gracious, compassionate thing that we can do as Christians. And so God wants to use us as his mouthpiece to declare these things to a world that has just gone bonkers. I cannot believe where we are today in contrast to what I've seen in my lifetime. This is crazy upside-down stuff. Verse 7 goes on to say, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, fellowship with one another. And he doesn't say fellowship with God. He says fellowship with one another. And so as you are walking in the light and you have other believers that are walking in the light, there is fellowship because we're walking in the light. We see the truth of ourselves. It creates this incredible thing of humility, dependence upon God, reliance on his word, looking to him for directions, for instructions, because we figure it out that we can't figure it out. Left to our own devices, left to ourselves, we're going off every time. We need his love letter. We need his instructions. And we need one another who are walking in the light to be able to grow in that. So when we mention that there's a married couples fellowship that meets every third Saturday of the month, one, two, three couples show up. I guess every other marriage is just doing fantastic within the fellowship. Why wouldn't we join something like that to be able to walk in the light? to be able to learn from God's word things that pertain to that most single significant relationship on earth. When we say there's a men's group that meets and a woman's group that meets, let's call it a men's breakfast and a woman's breakfast. And again, it's not a guilt thing. This is just let you know what's going on. There's an opportunity for men to be able to talk about things that we don't talk about in mixed company. And what we discover is, wow, You struggle with that too? (laughs) Who knew? I struggle with that very same thing. Again, this is what the Lord has shown me. This is how I've gotten victory in that area in my life. This is what I can do. Older men teaching younger men how to treat their sisters in the Lord, how to make sure that they're respectful of those relationships and things like that. Where do you learn that stuff? You learn them in smaller knit groups where there's fellowship taking place, where there's a, a safety of hey, we're all in this together. We're all growing simultaneously in our walks with the Lord. No, isolate, 
I'm just going to isolate. I'm just going to just do my own thing, and I'll get it. I'll learn. I'll, I'll figure it out. You don't understand my life. Well, okay. God is desiring fellowship with one another so that in the midst of that fellowship, there's a dynamic that's taking place because light is exposing darkness, and all of us have darkness. All of us have areas in our lives where we need to grow, and we need exposed by that light. And yes, it's uncomfortable sometimes. And yes, it's awkward at times. But that's the process God has determined to use to grow us up in the body of Christ, in what's called sanctification. He says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Spurgeon writes, observe yet again that in the, in the verse, there is no hint given of any emotions, feelings, or attainments as cooperating with the blood to take away sin. Christ took the sins of his people and was punished for those sins as if he had been himself a sinner. And so sin is taken away from us, but in no sense, degree, shape, or form is sin removed by attainments, emotions, feelings, or experiences. Sin is taken away because the blood of Jesus takes away all sin. Pastor Chuck was sharing as uh, I was listening to his message on 1 John uh, last week. He was sharing on D.L. Moody uh, on the East Coast, sharing this uh, message. And so this guy comes up to him after he shares and he says, "Um, is is it true what you're saying? He says, what's that? That the blood of Jesus can take away all sin. And he says, well, that's, you know, that's what the Bible says. That's clearly what the Bible teaches, that the blood of Jesus can take away all sin. And he says, well, I, I have something to share with you. I'd like to talk with you. And he says, okay, come tomorrow. I have a meeting. I'm going to share. I'm going to you know, be able to share the gospel. It's going to go out. But after that, I'll have a little time. And you and I can talk. We can go, and we can just have a one-on-one conversation. And so he says, all right, I'll be there. And so the guy walks out, and those who were helping D.L. Moody, those who were his uh, co-ministers, they come up to him and says, what was that guy talking to you about? And he tells them that, you know, he wants to meet. He, want, he wants to ask me some questions about the blood of Jesus and how it takes away all sin. And so I told him I'd meet with him. And he says, no, you can't meet with that guy. Do you know who that is? And apparently he was this notorious, ruthless, worst human being on the face of the planet on the East Coast, mob boss guy who had just killed all kinds of people. He had prostitution rinks. He had gambling rinks, all this illegal behavior. And he was just a vile, vicious human being. And these guys forbid that D.L. Moody would go with him. And D.L. Moody said, no, I, uh, I committed that I would. And so I'm going to be meeting with him. So he goes the next day. The guy shows up. He did, does his talk. And the guy comes up to him after. And he says, can you talk to me? He says, yeah, let's go. And so he walks them out the building. They go down an alley. They go into another building, into a dungeon. And the guy sits him down and he begins to ask him questions about the things that he has done. He says, do you know who I am? He says, no, somebody told me that you've probably been into some pretty bad stuff. And he asks him again, can the blood of Jesus take away all sin? And he says, well, the Bible teaches that the blood of Jesus can remove all sin. He says, well, what about murder? I've killed hundreds of people in the name of money. In front of their children, in front of their wives, I've killed men. Can God's blood 
take away that sin. He says the Bible declares that the blood of Jesus can remove all sin. He says, well, what about abducting young girls and using them for prostitution? We have kidnapped countless of young ladies and we've drugged them up. And he goes into story after story. What, what about that sin? Can the blood of Jesus remove that sin? And D.L. Moody says the blood of Jesus, the Bible says that the blood of Jesus can remove all sin. He says, I have a wife at home and I have a little daughter. I don't even talk to them. They're strangers in my house. I hate them. I don't even pay attention to them. And they've never heard a kind word out of my mouth ever. Can the blood of Jesus remove all sin? And once again, Dale Moody is like, the, the Bible declares that the blood of Jesus can remove all sin. What do I need to do? He says, you need to confess your sin and you need to ask for forgiveness. And the blood of Jesus can remove all sin sin. He goes home that night and he goes upstairs and he begins to read the Bible that D.L. Moody gave him. And he's reading his Bible and his wife tells his daughter, little two-year-old daughter, go upstairs and tell daddy that dinner's ready. And she goes upstairs and she says, daddy, mommy says dinner's ready. Come down and eat. And he says, sweetheart, tell mommy that I don't want to eat today. And she goes downstairs and she's just, her eyes just light up. And she says, mommy, mommy, daddy called me sweetheart. Daddy called me sweetheart. He said he's not hungry. And she says, no, that's, you must have misheard. You heard something wrong. Something is obviously not right here. Go tell him that dinner's ready. And she goes up again and he picks her up and he carries her downstairs. And he begins to have a conversation with his wife. And apologizes and says, I don't know what happened, but the blood of Jesus has removed my sin. And it's just incredible, this message that God has given us. It doesn't say some sins are most sins. It says that the blood of Jesus can remove all sin. Amen? Spurgeon writes, observe here is nothing said about the rites and ceremonies. It does not begin by saying, and the waters of baptism together with the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us. Not a word, whether it shall be the sprinkling in infancy or immersion of believers. Nothing is said about it. It is the blood, the blood only without a drop of baptismal water. Nothing is here said about sacraments. What some call the blessed Eucharist is not dragged in here. Nothing about eating bread and drinking wine. It is the blood, nothing but the blood. Spurgeon goes on to write, does my walking in the light take away my sins? Not at all. I am as much a sinner in the light as in the darkness. If it were possible for me to be in the light without being washed in the blood, well, but we have fellowship with God and does not having fellowship with God take away sin? Beloved, do not misunderstand me. No man can have fellowship with God unless sin be taken away, but his fellowship with God and his walking in light does not take away his sin, not at all. The whole process of the removal of sin is here, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses from all sin. Spurgeon. He goes on in verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so it isn't that we, we reach this level of sinless perfection. It's simply this idea of walking in the light is participating and cooperating with God as he sheds light in an area of darkness in our lives and we go along with that. We're participating with him in that. We're not shunning him or pushing him away. We're saying, wow, Lord, is this the area of my life that you want me to work on right now? Is this what you're currently exposing? Then I want to continue to walk in the light. So, Lord, I want to confess that to you. I want to acknowledge that. I, I want to say the same thing that you call it. That's what confession in the, in the Greek means, to say the same thing as. Here's the problem. We have pet names for it or we, we minimize sin. We say, well, yeah, this is my, my temper. Yeah, it's part of my heritage. See, being Hispanic and, yeah, I got a little hot temper, but you know, as Puerto Ricans, you know how we do it. Yeah. No, that's sin. That's not your little temper or your heritage or your culture. Well, it's not that bad. I mean, everybody's human. Yeah, everyone's human, a sinner in need of a savior, in need of confessing our sin. And so when we give it these pet little names and when we minimize it, then we're not agreeing. We're not confessing before God that it is what it is, sin. We call it something else. And we need to understand, well, I mean, everybody. No, don't do that. God is uniquely working on you. God knows exactly where you're at. And he wants to grow you up. He wants to continue to draw you closer to him. And we get two big things from it. We get humility from it because in acknowledging and confessing sin we realize lord here i am once again i'm confessing this once again i'm calling it what you call it forgive me lord cleanse me help me strengthen me and that creates a humility but it also creates a dependence on god because we realize Lord, if here I am once again, I need help. I can't do this by myself. I'm desperate for you, Lord. I need you. And so I come to you once again confessing, acknowledging, admitting it's sin, and I need your help. And so in that exchange, God is cleansing us. Now, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross and carried our sin on his body, the penalty of that sin, the justice, God's wrath being poured out upon that sin, instead of us being on the cross was placed upon Jesus. So our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Why then the need to confess? It would be found in John's gospel, chapter 13 when Jesus would gird himself with a cloth and he would call his disciples to himself and begin to wash their feet. And Peter would say, Lord, no way. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. And he says, all right, all right, Jesus. Then not my feet only, but everything. I got a nasty head and get my back and my legs and all that stuff too. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Those who are clean have no need of a bath. You've already been forgiven your sins, Peter, is what he's saying. You're walking in this world and picking up stuff. That's the confession. 
As we walk in this world, we pick up dirt. And when we confess that sin, we're cleansed from those things. It's kind of like that pruning process. As we walk on this earth or dirt, we pick up earth on our bottom side, if you will, right? The coat, the fluff, that fur begins to grow and the wool. And we're walking in the world and we're picking up world. We're picking up earthly things. We're picking up dirt. We're picking up habits from the world. And God says, come here, son. Come here, daughter. We need to prune you. Oh, so uncomfortable. Stop. And then he does it, and we're like, whoa, I'm so much freer. I'm aerodynamic. I can run faster like a sheep run. That's the process, if you will, of confessing. So what he's saying in this verse um, 8 and 10, he's saying that if we say that we don't have sin, we're lying. And that we need to acknowledge that there is sin. We confess that sin to the Lord. We walk in um, forgiveness of that sin. We're freed up from that thing. We're walking lighter in this world So the contrast between confessing that sin and being freed and living a lifestyle of habitual sin and not knowing God is what he's saying in this chapter. To walk in a lifestyle, walk means to have a lifestyle of. To walk in sin, to be away from God and to be living in sin, we we don't have fellowship with God. But to say that we have no sin is to deceive ourselves. We have sin. Until we go home to be with the Lord, we're going to struggle with sin. And that confession is going to bring, again, a freedom to be able to walk with God and to hear him clearly. I'll end with this quote from Trapp. No man was ever kept out of God's kingdom for his confessed badness, many for their supposed goodness. All of us are in this together. Every single one of us is doing the same thing simultaneously. We are growing older in this thing called life. Are we growing up in the things of God? Only to the degree that we're cooperating with God in the process of sanctification. If you find yourself stunted in your growth, try and remember the last thing that God has communicated to you that you chose to not obey that you chose to put on the back burner, that you chose to dismiss. And if you're not sure what that is, go to God in prayer. He'll remind you because God knew what he was working on in your life. And God is faithful to grow his children up responsibly. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you in Christ will be faithful to complete it. Jesus is not only the author of our faith, he is the what? Completer or finisher according to Hebrews 12. He's going to finish your faith. And so, do you want to, every single one of us need to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land, which is the spirit-filled life. Do you want it to be an 11-day journey? Or do you want to wander around for 40 years? Your choice, your call. It's an 11-day journey. We all got to go through the wilderness. We all got lessons to learn. We all got things that we need to struggle with through that wilderness wandering or we could do a beeline and shoot straight through the wilderness and get to the promised land 
as we participate and cooperate with God. Your call. God will wait you out. Is he not a patient God? And some things I've learned quickly, other things, it's like beating your head up against a wall. And God is like, I will wait you out. And until we tap out, because God knows what he's doing, until we tap out, uncle, uncle, or Jesus, Jesus, I hear you. It's our call. And God gives us the dignity to be able to cooperate and participate with him. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for your ways. They're beyond our finding out. Lord, as we look at the scriptures and what you want to do in growing us up, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your ways. We thank you that you just continue to want to blow us away with what you have in store for us. I pray, Lord, that we would be desiring of those things, that we wouldn't push against you, that we wouldn't fight or struggle, but Lord, I pray that you would just help us to acknowledge that we need you, that we're desperate for you, and Lord, we thank you for your ways. I pray that we wouldn't give in to the culture being, I don't know, just squeezed into its mold, but Lord, we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and discern what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and continue to have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.